SBI Show. Hello, everybody. It is game day. It could be the final game of this World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. It's do or die time. Must win. Win or go home. All the labels, all the cliches, they all apply today. The Americans only have one outcome that they can be happy with, and that's a victory against Iran. And it's Iran, not Iran. We'll get, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, there's so much to talk about leading up to this game. It's fast approaching. And uh, hopefully you're listening to this uh, bright and early on Tuesday morning. That, that's when we're recording. Uh, Eight-hour time difference between Qatar and the U.S., the East Coast. So I'm recording this uh, bright and early USA time. And I'll hope, hopefully get it out for you to listen to. In time to get you ready for the big match, which starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And there's so many storylines, so many subplots, so much drama. And and not you know, the game alone, the stakes alone, the tournament, the World Cup, that's enough. That should be enough, right? That should be enough drama. That should be enough subplots. That should be enough. The stakes should be high enough just with the World Cup, right? That alone. But then you pour on the political side of things, USA and Iran, the history, uh, the the current events. It's just all there. And it's just added this whole other layer to this game. And I mean, honestly, for me, as someone who just really likes to focus on the sport, uh, I could do without it. But you can't get away from it, right? You can't get away from the politics. You can't get away from the controversies. You can't get get away from the emotions, the added emotions. Because the World Cup's emotional enough. So much riding on, on this tournament. So many fans, so many countries who, who it live and die emotionally on how their teams do in this tournament. So the World Cup is enough on its own. But then you get two countries who obviously have a long-standing history of, of, of conflict and issues and, and current present day issues going on in Iran for those who follow the situation there. So there's been all this other political kind of undercurrents that are going on. And I don't normally get into that. As you know, anyone who listens to the show or anyone who follows me knows, hey, I try to stay away from the political stuff. But this time around, it's kind of just been baked into the whole thing. So we're going to have to get into it. But listen, let's talk Let's talk about the sport. Let's talk about the tournament. Let's talk about the game itself because it has so much riding on it for both teams. But for the U.S. men's national team, you have one match that's going to not only determine the fate of this team in the tournament, but is going to write the, the defining chapter of this, this team and this cycle. And while step one of qualifying for the World Cup was accomplished... And you can argue that another step uh, took place when the U.S. tied and outplayed England, highly rated England. That was another big step. But the most, arguably the most important step of all is now to take that next step to get to the knockout rounds, to get to the round of 16, to advance out of the group stage and to basically confirm what, what has been thought for a while, that this is a, a special group. This is a special generation just coming into its own and, and just kind of blossoming. 
And we've seen some signs of that in these first couple games. Obviously, two draws. You could argue the first match they, they should have won. They could have won against Wales. The England match, the draw was very much a fair result, as much as you can argue the U.S. was the better team. But now you need a win to get in. And the country is watching. As we, as, as those, of, those of you probably know by now, the, the ratings for the U.S.-England match broke records. Most watched men's soccer match in American television history. And now we have USA, Iran, and I'm curious to see what the ratings uh, are there. But you know what? It's not even just about the ratings. It's about the, the credibility because you've kind of, you, you tie England, you play well against England. That, that, that buys you some serious cachet. But guess what? That goes in the garbage with a loss or a draw against Iran. Three draws and an early ticket home is not what you want if you're this team. It's not what you want if you're Greg Berhalter. And it's certainly not what you want if you're the U.S. fans who are going to be watching nervously to see if they can get it done against a veteran team, a veteran Iran team that showed some quality in beating Wales. Now, obviously, they got just totally dismantled by England in the opening match. 6-2, they were outclassed. They were overrun. They were overwhelmed. But credit to Iran, they rebounded Came back against Wales. Uh, there was the red card to the Wales goalkeeper. And Iran scores two late goals to put themselves in this position where they only need a draw. So now we're looking at a potential real tactical battle, a real chess match between a U.S. team desperate for goals and an Iran team that knows that they can draw and get through and an Iran team that knows how to defend, who knows how to set up to defend and counter. And you can say, oh, well, they know how to defend. They gave up six goals to England. Fair. But they went into that match trying to go toe-to-toe, and they did not have the capacity to deal with England, and they were ripped to shreds. We saw a much different Iran team, Iran team, against Wales. So we'll see. And obviously, you you listen to, to Berhalter and Adams, Tyler Adams and Greg Berhalter address the media in one of the just more absurd press conferences that I have ever been a part of. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But they both touched on uh, what what they kind of see from Iran and what kind of match that they're expecting on Tuesday. What we saw, obviously, from Iran in, in the first two games is, is two completely different performances. You know, the first game... Um, you know, they had to work very hard against a, an English team that was able to exploit space and do a really good job. And then against Wales, they, you saw a, a complete team performance. You know, maybe they, they had an offside goal in the, the first goal, in the opening goal. Maybe they could have even scored a, a bit earlier. Um, and they continued to create chances and continued to fight. So um, it's going to be a tough battle. You know, we're going to have to have a lot of energy in this game and make sure that we're mentally prepared pay attention to all the details in the game, set pieces, um, and their midfield is, is quite impressive. You know, a very technical midfield, and you know, for me, it's always difficult to play against a technical midfield when they can control the ball and control the game. So, um, you know, we're going to have to do our homework on, 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 them, on the games that they played previously um, and be prepared for that game. And I would just add that in the first game against England, I think Iran was, was too passive, and I think they learned that lesson and were really aggressive in the second game. And, and um, really good team spirit. And it's almost like they played with, with nothing to lose. And I think that's when they were at their best. Um, they showed, I think, the world what they can do by, by beating a strong European team, a very physical European team. So, you know, we know it, it's, a, it's a knockout game. Um, I, I know Carlos and, and his team knows it's a knockout game. And, you know, we're really looking forward to competing tomorrow. 
Now, obviously, Iran was, is going to be set up defensively. They're going to be looking to catch the U.S. on the counter. The Americans definitely have to be careful in terms of not overextending themselves. And uh, it's going to be an interesting chess match because as much as, you know, Tyler Adams, when, uh, when asked about it, he, he, he says that he doesn't necessarily think that Iran is going to sit back. He thinks that he could see them going after the U.S. That would be interesting. That would be an interesting approach for sure, especially, especially against the U.S. defense that is not allowed a goal in the run of play yet in the World Cup. But the big question, the, 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 the challenge for the U.S. isn't defending because they've defended well in this tournament. The challenge is to generate dangerous scoring chances and to do it more often than they've done it these first two matches and getting their strikers a goal because as of now, the strikers do not have a goal yet. Tim Weah scored. You can argue he came into a central channel. He operated kind of as a striker, but he's a winger. Josh Sargent, Haji Wright, they've, they started the first two matches. Neither of them scored a goal. Uh, Sargent came close, hitting the post on the play. Haji Wright really had no contribution offensively in the in the England match, although he did a lot of work defensively. I would like to point that out because I know people watch the game, right? When you watch the game, you don't have the full view of the field, right? You don't have the you see what the camera shows you when you're watching on television. When you're in the stadium, you can kind of see everything in terms of what's happening off the ball and how, and what players are doing in terms of positionally. It's just a different view. And Haji Wright definitely put in a ton of defensive work um, to to help. The U.S. set up um, the U.S. defense cope and deal with with England's uh, multiple threats. Right. So he, he did do that part. But obviously you want your striker getting chances. You want your striker putting some shots on goal. And that didn't happen. And that definitely raises the question of is that an issue? Is that something that the U.S. and that Berhalter will have to address? And he was asked about it. And it sounds it, it sounds at least like he's OK with where the strikers are, but he understands that they need more service. You know, I think they've been okay when, when we're evaluating the performance um, in the first game. You know, Josh had a good chance at the near post. When looking at the second game, Haji was very effective in the defensive end of the game. Um, had a, some good runs into the channel, um, you know, very lively. You know, perhaps there's a couple times where we could have been more effective with our movement in the penalty box. But I think both of them, um, you know, have, have done a decent job for us. And, and it's up to the rest of the group to give them quality service that they can finish off some of these opportunities. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully in this Iran game, um, we can get some, some good balls into the box and, and help these guys out a little bit. In, in terms of alternatives at the striker position, um, you know, we're, we're comfortable with the three that we have. We haven't necessarily thought about putting Gio there or Christian there or Timmy Way there or Jordan Morris there. We've been more focused on um, the three that we have in camp. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be unhappy to hear the, uh, the, that Berhalter is not considering playing Tim Way uh, or Gio Reyna at or even Christian Pulisic as a striker or even as a false nine. And, uh, you know, that for me, that that's I don't know. I don't want to say that's necessarily surprising, but it is a little disappointing. Um, I, you know, obviously, I've, I've said this in recent episodes that I did like the idea of Tim Weah playing as as a striker and getting Reina on the field with Weah. Now, since, you know, if, if you are to believe Berhalter in what he said about the strikers, then it, then we're going to be back to the same situation of you're only going to get one of the two, either Weah or Reina on the field. And this particular matchup, Against an Iran team that's going to sit back, keep numbers behind the ball, not give, not create a lot of space, it kind of feels like a perfect opportunity for Giorena because of his ability to connect and combine and his vision and his ability to dribble at people. 
it t- if if you recall, and it's interesting, right? He scores a goal, so he had, you know that that puts things in a different perspective. Great finish, great goal from Tim Way in the Wales match. But before that goal, when the U.S. was obviously trying to chip, chip, chip at Wales's defensive setup, uh, Way had, was having a tough time. He was having a very tough time getting involved in a match, finding space, and then that play happens. And credit to Pulisic for the excellent pass, and they unlock the Welsh defense. So you can look at that and say, well, look. As much as the Welsh tried to, you know, set up defensive in a defensive posture, the U.S. was able to break through, and Tim Weah was able to break through. So there is an argument for starting Tim Weah. I get that. I would argue this Iran setup, this Iran defense, defensive setup is going to be even tougher. And I really believe that Reina, not only can he give you a little bit more on the creative side, but you have to wonder in terms of what you will need later in the match, right? And if you're talking about an Iran team that could potentially be a defense that could be tired, it'd be a perfect opportunity to get way of speed in there for the change of pace in the second half. And that that's definitely an approach I think you could see, uh, and I think it makes all the sense in the world. Of course, we could see Berhalter stick with the same attack um, in terms of uh, Pulisic and, and way on the wings. The striker is, is a question there, right? Who is he going to play a striker? Is he going to go Sergeant Haji Wright or Jesus Federa? And I would argue Ferreira for this one. If you are sticking with your strikers that you brought, your main three, Ferreira might be the best suited for this particular matchup just because of his ability to combine, his his mobility, his quickness in tight space. Like He, he is well suited for trying to break down a tr- an ultra-defensive setup. And if that's what we believe Vidal going to do, then Ferreira is probably your best bet if you are sticking with your strikers. Because Haji Wright uh, and Josh Sargent dealing with a basically bunkering opponent is, is not the best the best uh, matchup. Now, while Berhalter wasn't giving much away in terms of tactically what he plans to do, uh, I did find it interesting just hearing him talk about the 98 World Cup meeting between the United States and Iran, and, and Berhalter didn't play in the match, but he obviously watched it. Uh, turned out he, he apparently did Dutch television as a, as a commentator for that during the World Cup that year. Uh, he did that one and only match. According to Berhalter, it was the one and only time he ever worked as a TV analyst. And his recollection of the match is interesting, not only in that, obviously, you know, he remembers it pretty clearly, uh, it, it, but in that it sounds very much as though he is going to use that game to send a, net, a needed message to his team about how important it's going to be to compete on Tuesday. That game just sticks in my mind. It burns in my mind. And what I saw um, you know, from the opening whistle is one team that really wanted to win the game and one team that didn't really want to win the game. And Iran wanted to win the game with everything. And they played really committed, really focused. And for us to have a chance to advance tomorrow, that's going to have to be the mindset of our group um, because we know exactly what Iran's going to bring. Well-coached team, very committed team. And we don't want to make the same mistakes of the past. We want to learn from that and, and, and be able to, to put it in good performance. You know, obviously the stakes are high. It's not only a place in the knockout rounds in the round of 16, but it's also just in terms of respect for this team, uh, a, real, a real opportunity to build on something because if you get into the round of 16 all of a sudden you're you're looking at a potential matchup against either like a Netherlands or a Senegal or an Ecuador and you know you can argue they'd be the underdog against the Dutch but against any of those opponents you'd like to think they have a chance they have a chance and then you're talking about a win in the round of 16 and then you're looking at the quarterfinals and a potential matchup against an Argentina or, or someone to that degree uh, and just every opportunity you every step you take is just going to build more momentum 
build more interest, more respect, and more attention for the program. And that's why there is so much riding on this game and why it's so important for the U.S. to get that victory against Iran. A win would, of course, feel feel good in uh, all circumstances. I think that the work that we put in uh, in the past four years, there's been so many ups and downs in, in the journey. Um, and it feels like recently in the past year, we've finally started to find some consistency, especially having to go through that World Cup qualifying process for, for a lot of us, our first experience in that cycle. So, you know, now coming to the World Cup and it also being a first experience for a lot of us, um, our first goal on the agenda was, you know, we have to get it. We have to get out of our group by all means. And um, it's been good that, you know, we put them, put the circumstances and made them tangible that we can now achieve that goal with a win tomorrow. So um, it's good going into a game and knowing, you know, there's only there's only one way to do it. So you got to go after it. But, um, yeah, it would feel like, uh, you know, a success for us when we when we make it out of the group and then continue on in the tournament. Now, as far as this press conference that happened on Monday, uh, basically the day before every match, you have the head coach and a player, usually the captain, of the team speak to the media. And they address the media. It's in a big, like, kind of lecture hall. You have all the media from the two teams. You have international media as well. Uh, it was a little different this time because it was a very, very packed house. And it was just kind of curious. You're kind of like, who are these people? Why are there so many people here? Carlos Cato spoke first. Uh, and it, it was just a little weird because you don't often hear uh, coaches get applauded by the media. And that happened on multiple occasions during Carlos Queiroz's press conference. He was just applauded for showing up. He was applauded when he left. He was applauded when he had a nice line talking about the importance of the game and what, you know, what soccer means and why it's about making people happy. It was all this nice little kind of like moment that he had, but it was just kind of weird, right? You're like, why, why are media clapping and applauding? Like this is all, it all felt a little staged. So then the press conference ends and we're all waiting around for about a half an hour for Greg Berhalter's press conference, him and and Tyler Adams. And then you have the media there. You have uh, Iranian media purportedly that are there and there's just a lot of chatter going on in there among among Iranian journalists who were just, uh, you know, they were they were at being asked questions, and it turned into a whole kind of lecture moment where you had certain journalists, quote unquote journalists, who were just really spewing a lot of propaganda is basically the way I would put it. And after a while, I'm sitting here thinking, like, are these journalists or are these spokespeople for the Iranian government? Because it kind of felt like they weren't journalists. And wouldn't you know? The U.S. press conference begins, Greg Berhalter and Tyler Adams field questions, and they proceed to be barraged by just the most absurd uh, lines of questioning and grandiose statements from multiple, apparently, Iranian journalists. And uh, you need to hear it for yourself, and and I'm going to apologize in advance for anyone who didn't necessarily want to hear this, but I just felt like it needed to be heard uh, not just for the absurdity of some of the questions and the and the comments made, but also as as a chance to give some props because I tell you what, Tyler Adams handled himself like a champion in facing some of the the things that was that were asked of him and and how he responded and he just it was just a really great moment uh, for a player who look it, nothing surprises me about Tyler Adams anymore the guys he's a class act a hundred percent one of the the classiest most intelligent most most grounded individuals that I've ever ever dealt with in 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 my in my career and to see him face that just absurdity and handle it so professionally was really was really great to hear and I definitely wanted you all to hear it for yourselves 
Hello, hi. Uh, Tyler, this question is for you. My name is Mila Javamadi from Press TV. First of all, you say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? And uh, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, over the past few years. Are you okay to be representing the US? Meanwhile, there's so much discrimination happening against black people in America. My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures and, and kind of assimilate into different cultures, um, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. You know, growing up for me, I, was, I, I grew up in a, in a white family with an, obviously an African-American heritage and background as well. So um, I had a little bit of uh, different cultures and I, I was able, very, very easily able to assimilate in different, different cultures. So, um, you know, not everyone has that, that ease and uh, the ability to do that. And obviously it takes longer to understand and through education, I think it's, it's super important. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of, of your country. So um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a process. I think as, as long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. From IRIB. I've been at New York about two months ago and there was no support of your team as the high rise of uh, inflation and economical pro problems. Do you think the American people uh, support your team and you or no, they don't care about it? Thank you. Um, I can't speak for every American, but what I would say is from my understanding, there are 19 million people who watched the last game. Um, so it, it seems like there's some great support back home. I know anytime the U.S. is in international competition, the country gets behind us. And I can imagine there's going to be massive support in tomorrow's game and hopefully throughout the tournament. It's Mohammed from Sandbot Channel, Channel 2 in Iran. My question is, uh, how is your reaction when I tell you, like, uh, U.S. passport they can be welcome to Iran anytime and they can visit anywhere in Iran. But at the same time, Iranian passport, they can't uh, enter USA or United States, the lands, otherwise they have to say, make some problems and points and appointments. So what's your reaction about that? Because you are more, come, more than welcome in our country, but we are not. So what's your reaction about that? You know, I don't know enough about politics. Uh, I'm a soccer coach, and um, you know, I'm not well versed on international politics, so I can't comment on that. Now, the absurdities uh, were not just confined to Iran and political statements and, and all that that part of things. There was also a little craziness in regarding Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna, and the circus continues on that front. The soap opera, uh, for those who missed it, uh, apparently Eric Winalda on a recent uh, Twitter spaces, made some comments basically accusing Greg Berhalter of lying about Gio Reyna's injury situation. And then asked, apparently, according to Winalda, he asked Gio Reyna to lie about it to help cover it up and to help cover up the fact that there was no injury, apparently, allegedly. So <laughs> Berhalter was asked about this. And, you know, props to Sam Stashkoff for, for asking it. I know some people say, well, why even lend cred credibility to what seems like a whole absurd idea or theory at certain points when you have situations like this arise and these things kind of just take on a life of their own and, and just gather momentum in the in the 
social media landscape or or what have you at a certain point it kind of needs to be addressed at a certain point you need to give subjects the opportunity to address them and you know credit to, to Berhalter he did answer the question but it's clear to say it, it's clear to hear that uh, he wasn't too crazy about the, about the subject matter speaking of the four-year journey right there's been also four years of interacting with you guys and what I'd say is, you know, I'll leave it to you to decide if, if I ask you a lie about it. You know, that's just not who I am. That's not what I represent. So, you know, if you have to take, you know, Eric's word or my word or whatever, you know, feel free. But, you know, I know what happened. Um, that's not what I represent. And like every other person, you know, Geo is a member of this team that we care d- deeply for. And we know it can help the team. It's a matter of when he can help us and how he can help us. Now, you can go ahead and believe uh, Winalda or you can go ahead and believe Berhalter. Uh, All I'd say is that Winalda has been known to be a little kind of, you know, out there with some of the things that he says and some of the ideas that he has. And uh, it, it would just seem a little odd if, you know, Greg Berhalter and Claudia Reyna, lifelong friends, close friends, you know, could they could there be an issue there? Could there be a rift there? Potentially. In theory, I guess there could be, but if the, on top of that, kind of seeming like a, you know, if let's just say that happened, did we, do we also expect it to be the case that Winalda would be the person that the Reynas would be involving, or that the Reynas would be even informing of this happening and taking place? This is why it all feels a little far fetched. And you know what? We don't know for sure. There's no way to know for sure. And that's how this information works when you can just throw in the doubt, throw in the questions. And, you know, it's it's all it's all a little it's all super messy for one. And the timing of it is just awful when you think about it, because, I mean, it's literally days before the biggest match that these players have had. This team has had the World Cup's on the line and you're dealing with this type of this type of stuff and it's just like what where did they go from here like th- th- it's it's a huge absurd distraction and you just wonder how how it's going to play a part how it's going to factor into it uh, i'm sure the team's going to try to do their part to keep it on the outside and what's crazy is this game this Iran game is actually a big game big opportunity potentially for g arena aside from all this aside from the circus that's kind of brewing uh, because of the fact that he hasn't been playing this is absolutely this absolutely could be the match that Giorena starts in and makes a big impact in. And I know I'm not alone in, in, in feeling like, you know what, it's kind of crazy that we haven't seen Reyna that much in this World Cup. But this match, if he is in fact 100% healthy and there are no issues with him physically, this just feels like the match, a match, a perfect match for him to make a big impact in. And we'll see. We'll see if Berhalter goes to him or if he sticks with Tim Weah. I, on, on some levels, it does seem a little crazy to stick with an entire, like it, most of the same starting 11 for three consecutive matches. Uh, as much as the U.S. has been a bit lucky in the sense that all their matches are late, are late at night. They're 10 p.m. local time, so you're not dealing with the heat of the midday matches. And also, there's no real, there's not much travel uh, to and from these matches. So it's almost like playing three home games in eight days in in, you know, ideal conditions, not super hot conditions. So from, so from that standpoint, you could kind of understand, okay, that's how you're getting away with playing the same group so much. But at a certain point, you kind of wonder what you're risking by not rotating players more, by not making substitutions earlier. And I think that's definitely something that you can be critical about in certain moments in this World Cup is, is Berhalter maybe kind of holding, holding on a little long 
to his substitutions. And we'll see what happens against Iran. We'll see if he shakes things up, if he makes a couple of changes, or if we're going to see pretty close to the same nucleus. I mean, I think we're going to see the same back line, obviously, unless, you know, if Serginio Des is healthy, you're going to see that same back line. But it's the, and the midfield, you can't touch that midfield if they're all healthy. The, the Musa, Adams, McKinney trio is playing amazingly, especially the second match off against England. You got to keep them together. It's the front three where we're going to see a shakeup, if anywhere. And uh, now we're going to find out pretty soon who Greg Berhalter goes with. Now, I got to say, this has been a pretty crazy, crazy, crazy World Cup, right? And just in terms of the results, the outcomes, uh, there's been upsets galore, although the teams that have already qualified for the next round are the usual suspects, right? You talk about France, Brazil, Portugal. As as we head into the matches on Tuesday, that's the first three to qualify. We'll see who comes through next, but it it's not been the best showing for the CONCACAF region. Obviously, the U.S. has held its own. They're still waiting for their first win. Uh, and then you have Costa Rica with the shocking victory over Japan. Credit to them. They get off the mat after the embarrassing loss 7-0 to Spain. And what do they do? They knock off Japan. The same Japan team that just beat Germany. And I got to say, I'm not the only one that was very surprised to see that. Uh, but credit to Costa Rica. The Ticos, they get it done. They're still alive heading into the third match. Keylor Navas doing his thing again. And it was a little interesting to me to hear after the Spain loss. There was some slant, there was some Keylor Navas slander coming out of Costa Rica, which is like feels a little uh, a little crazy to me considering he would they wouldn't even be in the World Cup if not for Keylor Navas and the, his heroics in qualifying. So I thought that was a little crazy. But credit to Costa Rica, the first CONCACAF team to record a win. At this World Cup, and who would have thought that, right? And two teams who are struggling mightily uh, and not having the best of World Cups are Canada and Mexico. And while I'm not surprised about the Mexico struggles, I will say that that Canada, particularly their second match against uh, against Croatia, um, they just got really smacked around four one. A loss that eliminated them, their second loss. And the way that match started, Alfonso Davies, he, he scores the first Canadian World Cup goal. And he scores it in like the second minute. Credit credit to Davies. It had to be Davies, right, to, to make that history. So there was a nice moment there. But then, then Croatia took over. Croatia basically uh, gave uh, Canada their welcome to the World Cup uh, moment. And as you all know, John Herdman put his foot in his mouth after the, the Belgium loss and lit a fire under that Croatia team. And I know some people are going to sit there and say, oh, that had nothing to do with it. You know, Croatia didn't care. Croatia was going to beat Canada. Listen, I'm not saying Croatia won because of what John Herdman said, but I definitely think it added some mo- motivation to that Croatian team. And it, it, it made them want to put a beating on that Canadian team. And I, I I firmly believe that if not for the John Herdman comments, we, it could have been a 2-1, it could have been a 3-1, but guess what? Once, the, once he lit that fuse... The Croatians responded and they put a four-one down, and that's how. And you know what? I, I know I know some Croatians that will definitely agree that that is the kind of thing that a Croatian team would use as motivation. And uh, unfortunately for John Herdman, he hasn't done many things wrong as Canada coach. He's been outstanding for Canada. He's been amazing for Canada. But that was not his best moment, his finest hour. Hopefully, he learns from that. I still think he's a good coach, but he definitely lost the plot a bit there. Harsh lesson for him and harsh lesson for Canada. As far as Mexico goes, uh, Tata Martino has got some explaining to do. Now, it's one thing to lose to Argentina, right? 
there's no there's no shame in that. Argentina's a good team. Mexico is always probably going to lose to Argentina. The question is this. How does Edson Alvarez not play against Argentina? And apparently, by all accounts, he was healthy. He is, he is at least, at least Mexico's second best player to Herving Lozano. You can argue he's their best player. You can make the argument. So how does their second best player, arguably best player, not even get on the field? And that we're still waiting to figure this one out. And it is kind of crazy. And as a U.S. as U.S. fans, I'm sure U.S. fans are thinking, man, I thought Giorena not playing was was crazy. Edson Alvarez not playing for Mexico is insane. So at this point, we don't know what happened there. Tata Martina wasn't very forthcoming, but it wasn't a great look at Argentina finding spaces in places on the field where Edson Alvarez would have been. So that that was not a good look. Uh, and now they still have a chance to get through the next round. It's going to take a bit of a miracle for them. They need the win, first of all, against Saudi Arabia, which is possible, but they need some other things to happen. And uh, it's it's going to be a tough spot. Mexico has not looked good in this tournament. If not for Ochoa's heroics against Poland, they would already be eliminated. And as much as you'd like to think that they could beat Saudi Arabia, I don't know if you can take that for granted in this World Cup and the way things have been going. Uh, and it's safe to say this is probably their next match against Saudi Arabia will be Tata Martino's last match with Mexico. And it'll be another coach chewed up and spit out by El Tree. And I got to say, I don't know how they keep finding people to take the job because it is a thankless, thankless job. But we'll see what they can do. Maybe we'll get. Maybe there'll be. Maybe the things will fall into place, and Mexico can still pull it out. Maybe Edson Alvarez gets on the field in the lineup and does something in the third game, and then Tata looks like a genius. But I'm not going to hold my breath on that. So we'll see what happens. And I think that's it. That wraps it up for this episode of the SBI Show. And we will definitely be back to break down everything that happens with USA Iran. And you know what? If you're wondering my prediction on it, I'm going to go USA. I think they get it done. And it's not going to be easy. I can see Iran making it very tough, particularly early on. And I think there could absolutely be some jitters there for the U.S. But I think when it's all said and done, when when they get through that, that first 15, 10, 15 minutes, I think the U.S. finds a rhythm. And if and we'll see if Gio Arena starts, whether it's Gio Arena or it's Christian Pulisic or even Weston McKinney, I think the U.S. is going to step up and get the victory they need to get to the next round. And if not, it's going to be an early, early trip home for the Americans and the U.S. fans, but uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. So we'll see, but that's all for now for, for me. And make sure you listen. Uh, I, will try, I will try to drop the the recap right after the match. It's, getting, it's, it's, tough, it's tough to do, but I can promise you this. Wednesday morning, USA time. You will have a new episode of the SBI show, so look out for that. But that's all for now from here in Qatar. I'm Ivis Clarset. This is the SBI show. <laughs>